Hello, and you are listening to the Full of Chit Chat podcast. Um, and and uh, you may be listening to it. Uh, I, I mean, if you're listening to it right away, and by right away, I mean in relation to my own perspective. Um, obviously, you're listening to this right away from where you're sitting. Uh, but uh, if you're listening to this in the week of uh, February uh, 20th, second, uh, then uh, you're probably listening on uh, the um, Substack, uh, uh, Char Charlie Demare's Substack uh, site. But if you are a new listener listening on uh, Harbinger, the Harbinger Network, uh, welcome. And uh, my thanks to producer Andre Goulet. Um, Andre, who I've worked before on multiple uh, podcasts, and very excited to be working with um, again. And so, uh, and very excited. Uh, you have uh, heard uh, all of the, um, you're up to date uh, on all of the uh, past episodes we've done. But uh, if, uh, if this is your very first episode, uh, you are in for a treat because we are talking to one of my very favorite people. Uh, he is a, a political writer, an author, a science journalist, um, and uh, just all-around terrific person, and someone who I was I was thinking about um, uh, recently, and, and and I'll explain why in a second, but not before I have introduced him and let you uh, heard hear his voice from 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 Victoria, British Columbia. It's Lee Phillips, everybody. Hi there. This is my voice. It, it certainly is. And, and, and whilst uh, you're speaking, uh, my uh, schnauzer is uh, very delicately tipping uh, around the room on, uh, on the edge of her nails. And so uh, there was a little sort of uh, castanet um, sound that will hopefully provide a very, um, very elegant bed uh, for your introduction, uh, just from an audio <laughs> perspective. I was thinking of you, Lee, because I've been doing kind of a little mini Ken Loach um, uh, Film Festival here at uh, the house, um, <laughs> by which I mean I've just rented all the Ken Loach movies that are on uh, uh, Apple. And um, I think about you when I watch Ken Loach because, I mean, one, we've talked about Ken Loach, but two, because, uh, and this shouldn't be a, a rare thing when talking about uh, socialists, <clears throat> but like Ken Loach, uh, you are someone, a socialist who, who loves people uh, which is which is as i say it's it's a very strange thing that that shouldn't be uh generally the case but um it really isn't and uh so you two make me think of each other oh that's that's sweet uh yeah i guess yeah you know not more than guess absolutely i think humanism is is the uh the, the cornerstone of my belief system humans are great we're awesome i love us it's it's very it's it's such a it's it really is a very unfashionable uh, thing to say in in such a very like it, not, not that anyone is um, actively uh, making the well some people are making the well you'd be surprised I yeah mean, it's true when the uh, when the coronavirus kicked off and we we went for you know, through all our the first round of lockdowns um, there were all those. Uh, tweets and, and memes about how, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the canals in Venice were like swarming with dolphins finally, once again, and, and how we are the virus and isn't it yeah. wonderful that the, the planet is healing. Um, so, yeah, no, there are quite, quite a few people um, who take that point of view. The dolphins in Venice thing uh, always struck me as, uh, I ju that just, that felt that felt bogus right out of the gates i just i mean the dolphins dolphins in venice uh sounds like i don't know i i don't know whether it's actually true i mean i don't care even if it is true i mean fucking five hundred thousand people have died in the united states in the yeah. last year so um <laughs> there's um, no there's no number of dolphins in venice uh, that's right for which i'll make that trade <laughs> yes yeah, it's it's um uh you you can I mean I'll 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 eat slightly more expensive tuna. I mean I I will I love dolphins that much. Um I I mean I, I, none of this should be construed as anti-dolphin. I want like yeah. I want to be be clear. Um uh but it it, it is yeah, I mean, you do you you hear a little bit less of the uh, well. I mean, frankly, and 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 thankfully, you hear a lot less of the uh, oh, we are the virus hashtag stuff. But but yeah, it was that 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 it, in those first um, 
in that first little while, it was, you know, wow, the, the, the streets of Japan are filled with deer and, um, <laughs> uh, you know, everything that this, this, this kind of like, um, wonderful rewilding of, uh, of, uh, you know, yeah. that, 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 that the coronavirus had, had, had come back and, and helped, um, uh, and, and all this kind of thinking that like, if it ever comes out of the mouth of like a, like a crazed evangelical, like if a Pat Robertson or somebody right. ever says like, Oh, you know, this hurricane came for the gay people because of the parades. <laughs> we all, you know, everyone sort of sensibly says, Oh, you know, how you monster, is, what a monstrous thing to say, yeah. but yeah. you know, suggesting that, um, you know, millions of people, uh, especially uh, grannies and grandpas have been, um, you know, snuffed out by yeah. some uh, uh, virus that has been allowed to, uh, run amok uh, through the uh, basically through the um, atomized structures of our stripped down uh, societies, um, you know, suggesting that that is, you know, some sort of uh, a spiritual wake up call um, in, in any kind of a positive way. Sometimes somehow the, the people were able for the first sort of month or two, at least, um, uh, I guess, as long as it was strangers dying, they could you could you could sort of make that. Uh, kind yeah. Of case. yeah. Um, yeah, we, you mentioned the, uh, the number, um, uh, this week, um, uh, 500,000, a half a million of our American neighbors have, um, have died from, uh, the, the novel coronavirus. Um, uh, this is, uh, I mean, it's, 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 it's a, it's a tough thing. Um, I sort of feel like every, every day there are new numbers. Um, and, and in some ways, this is true, not only of the coronavirus, I feel like this is something that is sort of endemic to our whole society, you'll hear from Oxfam or somebody, you know, about eight people have the same amount of wealth as the bottom 4 billion or what, you know, it, yeah, yeah. over the course of every day, you just you're hit with these numbers that eventually become wallpaper, because they're so impossible to process. But um, half a million Americans uh, dying um, uh, of, of, of this virus feels just to be such a, such a staggering uh, number that demands a certain amount of um, respect. And people always will then say, oh, we're centering, um, we're centering again, uh, this loss of life in the, in the rich world or the powerful world. But in, in a way, the fact that this has happened precisely in the rich world and the powerful world is, is sort of the, the staggering thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. But then we, we shouldn't forget that there just the, 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 the numbers are not always as, um, um, forefront um, if they're coming from uh, from Brazil or South right. Africa or other places. And the, you know, the numbers are not pretty there either. Um, I just picked that um, that number because this week it happens. It's a, it's a very, you know, nice round number. Uh, it's right. the kind of number that uh, gets it stuck on the, uh, the front uh, page of the Sunday New York Times. Um, I did just want to say one quick thing about the sort of we are the virus thing from from supposed environmentalists. The, the absurdity of this is that um, the, the, the whole reason that we should be concerned with climate change uh, and biodiversity loss or any other sort of environmental issue is that there's a set of ecological, con ecological conditions under which humans flourish. And those are what's under threat. We, it's, the planet is fine, that the phrase, you know, save the planet or we're killing the planet, you know, from a from from a paleoecological perspective, makes no sense. Um, the the planet will be fine. It's it's we humans who are under threat. Um, so so just the very idea that if humans weren't here, life would be fine. Um, it, it it doesn't really make sense, uh, particularly when you think about the fact that you know the number of times in in the past uh, of the the deep the deep past of the Earth, um, other organisms have been responsible for. Um, you know, wild um, ecological transformations, even in two cases, uh, or at least two cases, uh, mass extinction events, uh, which then in turn went on to um, prompt, you know, this huge radiation of new species. 
And do we say that the, uh, the assemblage of species prior to those mass extinction events is, should have been preserved? Um, I mean, a, 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 the, the sort of classic example of this would be 2.5 billion years ago, cyanobacteria, a, um, a form of uh, bacteria that was the very first organism to be able to, or a series of organisms uh, to be able to uh, photosynthesize, uh, to, to photosynthesize, to uh, metabolize oxygen. Uh, it was great for them, gave them this great ability, uh, energetic ability that no other organisms previously had. But it was toxic for all other life, and, and almost all other life was wiped out as a result of this. Now, do we say that they shouldn't have done that? Um, and then, you know, in the late Devonian a mass extinction event, um, the, 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 one of the major sort of causes of this was plants' um, sort of conquest of land. I don't, won't go into the details of how exactly that happened, but... Um, Extinction is, is, is a part of, a part of life, a part of evolution, as much as de uh, death is a part of life. The problem that we're facing is not extinction, qua extinction. The, 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 the problem that we're facing is human extinction, potentially. That's the issue. So to just to... Um, right, yeah, and I mean... I mean, I mean human it makes no sense to be cheering the death of humanity. No, no, exactly. I mean, I, I mean, I do think that human beings can. I mean, we have the uh, we have the moral capability, and I think it's a it's a salutary one to see ourselves um, self consciously as as part of a, a network of of existence and 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 of um, you know of of creation or of 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 a sort of planetary system, you know, of on whatever sort of um, secular or non-secular uh, um, charge that that you want to give that um, that worldview. I mean, we we do have the ability to think of ourselves in uh, by extension um, uh, the, the 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 species that we we would be taking down with us in in that event as well. And so I do think that we we do have that moral ability and. And that that's a salutary one. Um, well, I would I, I would say that the the reason that that would be problematic is because those uh, that assemblage of species is the assemblage of species upon which we we depend uh, for for our thriving, and that can even be sort of not just um, sort of necessary life processes, but even just aesthetic things. It is a right. a, a very very sad thing if we were to lose. Um, uh, the tiger, given how um, how essential the tiger is to so much of human culture, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but 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 if um, all of those, if we went down and we brought a bunch of species down with us, or rather, uh, as a result of bringing down a series of species, we ended our own um, existence. That would just create a new a set of niches for for other life to um, uh, to radiate into to evolve. Um, yeah. And, 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 you know, the, the point being, the point being that, uh, however you feel about sunsets or butterflies, like that's a bad option, um, for any of us. Um, to, it's, it's a bad option for humans for sure. Yeah. For, for human beings. Um, and, and, and that, uh, uh, yeah, I mean that, that what it, what it, what it always ends up, I, I think, coming down to is is the um, the, the problem of uh, and, and and this is this is where I think um, a certain sort of ecological mindset um, really um, uh, is 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 just the sort of flip or shadow side of the kind of rapacious um, uh, capitalist uh, utility yes. view of nature, which is to say human beings exist, you know, apart from or over top of or outside of somehow uh, nature, as opposed to being embedded in and part of seeing it from always a point within nature and, and, and that whatever we do, whatever process we're a part of is, is a natural process. Exactly. Absolutely. We are the environment. Yeah. I mean, the irony is, you know, you'll, you'll hear, um, sort of language about how this particular um, uh, process or or even drug or whatever is unnatural or uh, uh, you know skyscrapers are unnatural or right uh, as if as if we aren't part of nature 
everything that we do, our, from our satellites to our, uh, even to the, the pollution that we produce, that's all natural. The problem is uh, that these people think that it, natural means good. Natural doesn't mean good or bad. It's just what is. Right. Um, what we do out in, what, everything that we do in the world uh, is just creating a new set of um, uh, evolutionary pressures um, uh, for, you know, further natural selection. Whether that, that set of pressures is, is conducive to human flourishing is another question entirely. As like George Carlin used to say, what do you mean artificial color? That's as red as red can be. Uh, that, yeah. It may be, it may be a chemical stew that you have, uh, you know, uh, created in that maraschino cherry, but it's not, not. <laughs> um, the- I'm, I'm all natural, all natural uh, with my, with my maraschino cherries. I, uh, I, I make my own. I, I may be a, a raging anti um, eco austerity person, but uh, even I like my homemade artisanal um, uh, maraschino cherries in my cocktails. I don't even know what that would entail. How do, how do, you, how do you make your own maraschino cherries? This is, this is the side of you that I was not expecting to understand. <laughs> uh, it's, it's super easy. Basically, you, um, you, you can get fresh cherries, um, but then they're a bit of a bitch to like, take the pits out. Just buy some uh, frozen, a bag of frozen cherries from, okay. from, uh, from Costco or uh, Salem Foods or whatever. And uh, then you basically... Uh, boil them in a, you're making a simple syrup with maraschino uh, liqueur in there, maybe you know, a bit of uh, cinnamon, some lemon juice. And, um, and then you pour that, that mess, that slop into, uh, into a jar for two, and let it sit for two weeks. And I mean, I, you can eat them straight away, but they're better after two weeks. This is not the turn anyone saw this episode taking. This is the, uh, and now this has to be stored at, at, at sub-zero temperatures, right? And it has to be administered in two doses, these cherries? <laughs> I, um, I, I, do, I, I do tend to have, yes, I do tend to have two cherries for, for a cocktail. <laughs> That's so, the, the proper number of... Uh, I, I, I do think um, uh, we, we had a cherry tree in the backyard of my, I grew up in my granny's house and, and she had a cherry tree in the backyard and about annually would be the, the great like picking and um, uh, diarrhea inducing gorging of the, <laughs> of the cherries. And it was just, it, it was always, they were, uh, the incidents were always spaced out far enough from each other that no learning could <laughs> occur. Uh, you, um, uh, you've been writing about um, uh, COVID and coronavirus uh, vaccine stuff and, and the politics of this, yeah, um, yeah. the politics of this pandemic. Uh, you've been covering um, uh, on, on Jacobin, um, uh, both kind of going in and I'm, I'm really loath to say this because I've, I've been wrong at every single sort of utterance of any kind of hopeful moment this whole time. But I mean, you know, ho- going in and hopefully beginning to, to come out. Um, before we get into um, uh, what's happening now, can you, can you talk about what it was about uh, the way our societies are currently organized uh, that, that left us so prone to this, this virus um, this time last year? Sure. Um, so I guess the first article that I wrote about this was uh, in February, uh, early February, mid-February last year, just as we were beginning to hear about um, uh, some of the news out of, out of Wuhan and uh, some of the very first cases were arriving in, in the West. And... Um, at the time, um, there was a there was a really interesting there was a really interesting interview in Nature uh, Journal with um, uh, Rolf Hilgenfeld, who's a who just happens to be a uh, sort of an expert in in coronaviruses, and he was they were he interviewing because he was going into Wuhan just as you know, everybody was trying to to get out um, because he was interested in testing some early stage, uh, can, uh, drug candidates, um, on animals that had been infected by, uh, SARS-CoV-2. Um, and there was this quote, um, in the interview, um, where he was, uh, talking, uh, because the, 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 the journalist had asked him, you know, what's the likelihood of how, you know, how fast could these be developed? And, and he sort of said, 
well, you know, the, the, the fundamental problem here is that, um, and he'd been working on this stuff, and there have been other uh, researchers working on, on sort of coronavirus drug candidates, but also potential uh, vaccines for coronaviruses um, for, for years since uh, the first major coronavirus outbreak, um, or first novel coronavirus outbreak, uh, SARS in 2003, and then MERS in 2012. Um, and he said, you know, the total number of people who were infected by those two diseases is around 12,500. And then the quote goes, that's not a market. Uh, the number of cases is too small. Uh, pharmaceutical companies are just not interested. And so basically, um, there was research being done. And uh, for since to, basically just after 2003, uh, virologists, immunologists, uh, epidemiologists, uh, public health officials were warning that, you know, there really needs to be a, a step change in uh, investment in research in this area, because even though those outbreaks were relatively small, um, there was always a chance that they could go much further and we need to be ready for this. So we knew this was coming. And I mean, just to, 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 to break down that phrase, that's yeah. not a market. I mean, because part of you wants to say, like, yeah, no, it's not a fucking market. That's the whole point, um, that yeah. is, is that we need to be able to think of these things outside of a market logic. Um, but yeah. what, 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 he, what he's uh, addressing in that quote is that essentially – there was no way in which this research could be applied in anything like a commercially feasible way. That's right. And so uh, any sort of um, university lab that might be doing um, uh, this sort of research, they certainly don't have the funding, the you know, b billions of dollars to be able to engage in clinical trials. The pharmaceutical companies do, uh, but they're not interested because, as he said, 12,500 people is not a market. So this is, and this, this is something that we see running right through at so many aspects of this crisis of the pandemic, where um, there is a gap between what is profitable and what is socially beneficial. And so the only way that you could, um, that we could have prepared ourselves um, adequately uh, for this it, with respect to, um, you know, uh, uh, coronavirus um, uh, drugs and or vaccines, or at least just to be able to um, develop some sort of uh, preliminary drugs or um, initial uh, vaccine research uh, so that we're much more ready to go um, uh, come, and, come this sort of uh, uh, outbreak would be if it was the public sector that did this. Just be, mm -hmm. because there is no market and there is insufficient market incentive for the pharmaceutical companies. Now, the this is not something that me, sort of lefty person, is is saying. This is this is in the in the papers. Almost all the papers that were written prior to the um, the COVID pandemic that were um, so review articles looking at uh, the crossroads of of coronavirus research and po public policy around this over and over and over again they were they were saying that i mean the language just repeated itself in these in these papers there's no market incentive there's insufficient market incentive pharmaceutical companies find insufficient incentive the phrasing is almost identical every single time this is uh, the thing that people use the term cassandra uh from greek myth uh to to mean someone who uh uh, uh inaccurately um uh, d d predicts catastrophes uh, that that you know, or, or always says the worst is happening, which is right. which is not what the Cassandra myth is. The the Cassandra curse is that she is given uh, actual prophecy, uh, but that no one will believe. No. Her. Yes, and oh, uh, and so yeah. Cassandra knows uh, that something bad is happening and tells everyone. And because of her curse, she is, uh, they, they are unable to believe her. And you just think about, imagine standing in this moment that we're in now, having been the people oh, yeah. waving the flares at the end of your hands, trying to get people to, uh, I, mean, I mean, half a million people in the United States alone. It's, oh, it's yeah. just un. I mean, which doesn't even get into the the mental health costs, the the economic costs, the 
just just what it has done to um, the willingness of people to be open to each other, or 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 uh, uh, what what is what it's done to to xenophobia and 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 just the list is is unending. And, and yeah. to know yeah. that the people were speaking in this just like absolutely unambiguous language about the the wolf that was at the door. Yeah, I mean, I, you can even say that, okay, so after SARS, um, and these, you know, people were making these warnings, but you could say, that, okay, fair enough. Um, never mind the, 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 the sort of market incentives with, with the pharmaceutical companies, but you could say to, uh, with governments, you could say, you know, you only have so much money to spend. This doesn't seem to be, have had that much of an impact there's you know we do have to allocate our, our money somewhere sure. uh, or prioritize our money in some way but then then MERS comes along in 2012 and these same so researchers these same public health officials are saying okay really this has happened twice now uh we have had enough warnings um we really need to to act on this now and they weren't listened then either listened yeah. to then either so then the year the year unfolds and in in this year of just kind of one nightmare after another there's this spark of miraculous human ingenuity and creativity where in in multiple locations there are these breakthrough um just just on on an absolutely unprecedented um scale and and pace of, of these vaccines um, right, yeah. uh, in multiple locations uh, with, with these, just these sort of staggering levels of, of effectiveness in, in the clinical trials. And in some of the reports we're hearing from uh, results in the general populations, uh, the vaccines are exceeding the performance in the, in the clinical trials. So, so yeah, 90, 92% was low uh, and, 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 then it's, and it turns out it's actually 98%. I mean, like just totally mind bending stuff. There's this whole, you know, we, we know well the apocryphal uh, quote that's usually attributed to Frederick Jameson, although I don't know that there's any um, uh, actual uh, uh, data on this. But the quote is, you know, that it, it, right now it is easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism, right? Right. And so we now have had this multi-front miracle on, on the vaccine break. and. Yeah. Now it feels like the the uh, dysfunctional organization of our societies uh, is on pace to potentially sabotage the um, unfolding of that process. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and, and suddenly it's like watching the Jameson quote in real time. Yeah, yeah. No, the um, the the incredible cooperation, the selfless cooperation um, between uh, researchers around the world um, is, you know, it's in the, in the past year on so many different fronts, but including uh, not, not least on the um, the development of, of the vaccines is 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 remarkable, and it does it is a sort of glimpse of a better world, a more humanist world more egalitarian world um and the i mean the irony is uh, here is that uh even though you'll hear you know libertarians or uh, right-wingers talking about how um the uh, the pfizer vaccine and the moderna vaccine uh astrazeneca are vaccines are are you know we should be cheering the free market look at how rapidly these companies were able to produce these vaccines the, the truth is actually completely the opposite um you sound, like, you sound like Slavoj Zizek. Yeah. You, have to, you have to do it with it. No, it is, in fact, it is precisely the opposite. <laughs> that, that Pfizer and, and AstraZeneca and so on and so forth, they are, in fact, now the opposite of the private sector and so on and so forth. Yes, I uh, know that's, that's absolutely true. The king of the moist talking. <laughs> <laughs> little joke there for the Canadians. Yeah, moist, yeah, uh, sorry. Talk talk moistly um but yes <clears throat> so the way that these were able to be developed was that um one on the back end you have all of this uh public funding for for the research and development and then in addition to that you have 
um, you know, effectively public funding of the clinical trials, and you have uh, the uh, crucially advanced purchase uh, agreements uh, by by governments with these companies, uh, so that they they had completely de-risked the innovation. They had said like, don't worry. Even if they don't work, we'll st- some of them don't work. We'll still be uh, you know purchasing these, um, which uh, suddenly now creates that market in- market incentive, right? It's, or rather, creates an incentive, but it's by it's by government. So it, the irony is that it's very much an example of socialism rather than an example of 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 the free market working as it should. And then so we have this unprecedented. Uh, speed with which these vaccines have been developed in, you know, basically nine months, when normally it would take, you know, years, even even decades, uh, for vaccines to be to be to be uh, developed, and then, you know, around Christmas time, everybody's getting very excited that you know the the the, the crisis may be coming to an end soon, and then what do we see? Um, it's February now. It's uh, it's late February and. Uh, other than a handful of countries like Israel and the United Kingdom, uh, the uh, the vaccine rollout has been um, completely um, uh, challenged by um, once again um, issues within um, within the free market in terms of logistics of the uh, of, of the rollout of uh, the materials that go into uh, the production of these. Um, uh, within Canada, one of the, the the biggest problems we've seen here, and we're as as you know, we're one of the worst countries in the in the Western world in terms of the role of the vaccine, is that we have no domestic manufacturing vaccine manufacturer, or not very much uh, domestic manufacturing capacity. Um, the uh, when going and speaking to pharmaceutical companies to to ask if they would set up shop in Canada, the pharmaceutical company said, you know, there's there's no point. Um, uh, your population is too small. I.e., you know, there's there's not enough of a market here. Um, if we started producing them, and then everybody takes them, and then a year later, um, but nobody's using that drug anymore because everybody's cured um then we have this all this excess capacity and it, it makes no uh, no sense for us to do that um and there were again there were public health officials who were warning that this was a problem coming down the pike in canada canada's per- it particularly um under the gun here because uh, you know it's it's like 36 million, that sounds like a very sizable population, but these days in the world, comparatively, it isn't. Mm-hmm. And we're, uh, we're, uh, we're slammed as well because, um, you know, as a result of globalization or neoliberal versions of globalization, a lot of our manufacturing capacity has really declined, not just with respect to, to vaccines, but in general. And, um, you know, there were there were warnings under the um, from public health officials uh, under the Harper administration saying, look, you know, if, if, if we're hit by a pandemic, we're, we're going to be squeezed in terms of our ability to manufacture um, sufficient vaccines or antivirals. Um, And, and then when the Trudeau government came in, uh, the the same people were, uh, were making the same argument. and, And again, there were other priorities made. So, and I think part of it isn't, I mean, you can, we can say that, you know, Trudeau or, or certainly Harper have a sort of, maybe they're, you know, think of certainly Harper as a sort of nefarious figure, but it's more that it's just this sort of um, capitalist realism, this neoliberal mindset that why, why on earth would the state build out, um, um, sufficient vaccine manufacturing capacity just to be there like the fire brigades where you know firefighters they sit around most of the time uh, pay to sit around for those few moments where they do need to save people's lives and why the fire brigade service would could never work uh, for, uh, from a market um, sort of design market structure um, um, the of course the Tories wouldn't think about that but I think of course, also the liberals wouldn't think about that. And to be really honest, I think even, of course, neither would the NDP because it's just beyond their thinking right. that what we might need to be doing is creating a domestic um, just vac- vac- uh, vaccine service. So, so many of the like basic planks and principles of the economic 
political system that's that's ruled the roost of of, of the planet over the last uh, forty years um, uh, have have just been laid bare as as just absolute um, nonsense. Just made 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 uh, made a complete um, yeah. uh, travesty of by by this pandemic. I mean, one the idea that it, it doesn't matter where stuff is made, it'll get to you. Uh, to the idea that, you know, th- there is no society, it's just you and your family and, 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 and that'll be okay. You'll, you'll be able to take care of and manage that, that sort of atomized unit as you, as you f- go yeah. through a, a, a civilization. One of the few promises that uh, globalization, uh, a capitalist globalization of, of the late 20th and early 21st centuries was, was somewhat able to deliver on. Um, now, partly they were able to deliver on this by um, just what they did to demolish the standard of living in the, uh, in the rich world of, of working class people. Um, uh, but, but they were able to slightly begin to um, redress some of the inequality globally that existed between, um, I mean, obviously these are still like, these are still completely out of whack um, in terms of the global North and the global South or, you know, whatever the terms you, you use um, for the, the, the wildly uneven um, and exploitative um, uh, division of, of labor and resources um, around the world. There, there was some movement over the last few decades towards beginning to uh, redress some of those imbalances. And, and now it, it's looking like um, the, 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 the new inequality of vaccine and inoculation uh, is, is, is potentially going to completely throw the wrench even in, in that. I mean, where, where we're looking at, you know, one part of the world that's maybe going to be all vaccinated by Christmas if, if you're, you know, in the lucky parts and uh, the rest of the world, it's maybe, you know, not going to get inoculated until 2024, 2025. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's grotesque. It's absolutely grotesque. Um, And also irrational from an epidemiological uh, point of view, because uh, so long as the vaccine, uh, so long as the virus continues to circulate, and 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 evolve. Um, even those people in the rich world um, uh, uh, remain um, in in danger. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just uh, people who've been vaccinated, and then against which, say, new variants may not be um, uh, against which uh, against these new variants, the uh, existing vaccines may uh, at some point might not be uh, um, effective. Uh, but even within the developed world. There are people who have um, uh, compromised immune systems and so are unable to uh, to uh, take the vaccines, and they're protected by the herd immunity uh, resulting from a large majority of the rest of us being vaccinated. Mm-hmm. In those circumstances, if the if the virus continues to circulate, those people are still under significant threat, but also even the people who are vaccinated are under under threat because, as I say, there there may uh, emerge some variants that um, escape um, the immune protection uh, provided by the existing vaccines. Um, and the more that we, yeah. I mean, I want to be clear when I, when I, when I, when I said earlier that... Um, let me put it another way. Nobody's sure. safe until everybody's safe. Nobody's safe until everybody's safe is what you just said. Now, yeah, I, 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 and I think you know, that just needs to be screamed from, from the rooftops because I mean, I want to be clear when I said earlier that what was, what made the figure of half a million from the United States um, particularly staggering in the fact that it came from such a rich and powerful country is that I think we have become, uh, you know, inured in a a sense to the fact that, you know, in such a deeply unequal, uh, unequal, it's certainly not unequal, uh, <laughs> such, a, such a deeply unequal world that there are going to be some societies that are just, when they're hit by, whether it's an earthquake, uh, uh, you know, as when Haiti, you know, when Haiti is hit by an earthquake, it's different than when Turkey is hit by an earthquake, which is different than when San Francisco is hit by an earthquake. Yeah. Like that the, that the, 
the, the difference in terms of uh, the, the, the wealth and power that a country has <clears throat> will obviously mitigate um, the way that they're able to deal with or willing to deal with the effects of, um, you know, a ravaging uh, natural um, disaster. Uh, and, and, and to some extent, the, 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 five, the 500,000 figure in the United States is, is, is much a, is, it's as much a statement to the, the dysfunction of, of, of current uh, political and social structures in the United States as it is to the, um, just the, the, the virulence of COVID-19. Um, but, but, but we're now, uh, as you say, we're, we're not out of the, we're not dealing with something that's, this is not a neighborhood by neighborhood problem, right? Like this is a, it's a global pandemic. So there is no national solution to a global pandemic. Yeah. Um, you hit the nail on the head there. I think this is the first time, um, where we are, uh, as a species are confronted with a truly global uh, catastrophe uh, that exposes immediately how um, all humans are connected and that uh, effectively, you know, ca even, uh, even, sorry, capitalism isn't in the interests even of the wealthy, if you, if you right. see what I mean, um, that socialism is in their interest. Yeah. Um, uh, whether we can, whether we can use this this moment to convince the world to move in a more socialist direction in the coming years is another question. I think I am moderately hopeful because the disaster has been so extensive when we are talking about 500,000 mm. in the United States. Um, I think there is this, uh, you know, well of anger uh, that will emerge, that I think is already emerging. Mm -hmm. uh, as a result of this, I think that this will end up being as big of a shock to the system as the Second World War was. The question is whether um, we ordinary people can organize sufficiently well to make those arguments, mm -hmm. um, to, 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 to clarify um, um, this stuff. I think we can. It's, I mean, everybody knows the stories about how it was just absurd, the, uh, the shortages of, of PPE. Um, the misdirection of them to, uh, as a result of market incentives, that you know PPE would be sent to uh, a location that was wealthy enough to pay, rather than a, a location that for which it was the priority because more yeah. people were, uh, uh, needed them there. Uh, even in the United States, you had uh, Republican governors who were who were furious with with Trump uh, because they happened to come from a smaller state, therefore larger states were able to. Um, basically bribe uh, the providers of various different aspects of PPE or other uh, sort of medical equipment. Um, even midway through the delivery of, uh, you know, contracted um, uh, sort, of, sort of delivery, that suddenly something that they, uh, they uh, uh, paid for would just suddenly be diverted to some other place because uh, the, uh, the, the company providing it could make a lot more money delivering it to this other place, regardless of which location needed it more. And, and so in, in a number of European countries in particular, these sort of uh, parts of the economy were sort of semi-nationalized or it certainly there was legislation you used to sort of just order companies uh, to direct PPE where it needed to be go and need to be uh, allocated and to produce it. Similarly with medical equipment, I think in Spain, um, uh, range of, because they, they had begun to privatize their healthcare system, they just sort of re-nationalized the privatized um, hospitals. Um, even in the United States, Trump um, uh, used some aspects of the Defense Production Act to just order uh, production. Um, so even the most arch capitalists began to, in this wartime economy, and we are at war with this virus, they recognize that markets are just too slow, uh, inefficient, and irrational in their allocation that mm -hmm. uh, the state needed to take over. So we need to take, make that argument, uh, bring, take that argument moving forward. Um, I think that one of the real challenges is that a lot of the left is unused to making arguments about state capacity. It's unused to making arguments about economic planning. It's unused to making arguments about industrial policy. 
is mm -hmm. used to making arguments around welfare uh, programs, which is great and fine. You know, absolutely uh, all for expanding Medicare in Canada uh, or public health care in Canada to to pharmacare. Those that's absolutely right. But we need to be able to speak beyond just questions of um, of social services. We also need to be taking very seriously these arguments around economic planning, industrial policy and state capacity. Mm hmm. I mean, I think it also involves, I mean, uh, you know, the, a, a very salient frame on the left in, in recent years has, has been um, the, the privilege frame as a way of approaching yeah. uh, inequalities. And, and, and there is uh, a, a move to um, get certain, uh, you know, larger and larger sections of people to uh, guiltily identify their selves with um, those who hold power and those who, um, uh, you know, which, which is obviously not an entirely bankrupt project in the sense of it is, it is worthwhile in all of our lives personally to look at the ways in which we, um, uh, you know, we uh, meet out uh, various social hierarchies and, and, uh, uh, but also, um, what, I mean, what you're what you're saying is, what you're basically calling for is essentially for people in the rich world to see themselves as being in the same boat as yeah. people in the poor world, and and uh, obviously in a way that is not about saying that everyone is going through the same thing or suffering to the same degree or that the situation is as acute in each place in fact you're you're very specifically saying exactly the opposite that we need to always be attuned to where is the situation the most acute where are our resources best allocated etc but all the while keeping in mind the idea that you know that basically that occupy slogan that we are the 99 percent that idea yeah, yeah. essentially like we all are on this planet together and and whether we're talking about um, climate change or pandemic in those situations it's only the private island people who are not part of the we yeah absolutely um, and I think we can see clearly from uh, from from uh, the the vaccine rollout um, um, uh, debacle uh, how the privilege framing doesn't work here in fact it doesn't work anywhere it isn't the fact that um, white people, that, uh, that you know, brown people in, in, in Africa and South, uh, South America and, and, uh, and, and, and South Asia are having uh, uh, less access to uh, the vaccines because um, the wealthy, largely whiter populations of Europe and North America um, are having uh, greater access to them. In both cases, we're being fucked as a result of uh, market uh, mechanisms um, exacerbated uh, in many cases by uh, questions of um, uh, colonial uh, colonialism, racism, um, uh, and uh, inter-imperial inter rivalries. Um, but the, the base problem that leads to all of that is the fact is the, the irrationalities of the market. We're both being fucked over as a result of this, and the the the, the, the solution to this is not for it would not be for. Um, the, the wealthy, whiter um, uh, countries to give up some of their vaccines so that more people in the development world can have the vaccines. It's for both of us to come together, uh, working people in both parts, uh, both the global north and the global south, to overthrow uh, those, those people at the top of both of our societies um, who are running a market economy that is not in the interest of the entirety of humanity. There is... An essay right now on Jacobin by Matt Carp um, that that talks about um, the the electoral just the kind of sterile electoral situation in the United States right now, um, and it, it's a terrific essay. It's a long read. Um, I highly recommend it. But uh, one line in there also made me think of you in in the, in the kind of Ken Loach way that we started with. And so I, as, as a sort of bookend, I, I, I wanted to um, ask you to, to address this, this idea, because one of the things that he talked about was the way in the Biden Trump um, presidential election, the, we believe in science, you know, science with a capital S science yeah. as a kind of reified 
um, person, science as a, a thing that can walk into the room and decide certain things, um, uh, became a, uh, you know, just as everything is, uh, a drafted soldier in the culture wars. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, you, I, I, you know, and I say this as someone obviously who, you know, reads your work and knows you as a public person, but also just as your friend and, and someone who knows how deeply your, your love of science runs and, and your respect, um, you know, which doesn't even begin to kind of cover it of the scientific method as a, as a means of, 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 of attaining truth and attaining insight and, and, and shaping um, our, our view of the world. How do we go about ensuring that a true love of and celebration of and and granting of sovereignty where appropriate to science isn't conflated with the the technocratic political program uh, that has got us into so much of this mess in in the first place. Oh, I mean, gosh, that's that's the that's the sixty thousand dollar question. Um, yeah, we, there has to be a way that we are able to uh, defend uh, science against, um, uh, against irrationality, against magical thinking, um, um, and to, because it is the, it is the, 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 the best way to think about the world. Um, no other m mode of thinking is comes as close to in its, its, its predictive power. And, um, but at the heart of that is, 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 is a basis in uncertainty rather than uncertainty. Uh, uh, so if people run into the room um, using science as a, as a sledgehammer to, to attack people that they, um, within the culture war, um, if anything, they're not being, scientific enough, um, mm. particularly when it comes to issues around um, epidemiology, which is much more akin to economics uh, as a science than it is akin to uh, physics, simply because there's so many variables involved. And so any conversations about that um, within the discipline itself are drenched in caveats and uncertainty and um, uh, qualifications. And this is true within medicine as well, within biology, uh, within ecology, any of the, the sciences where you have just so many variables involved. Um, and I, I think there was, a, there was a story I read about how the, um, the British government, they were shocked to find um, that the, the epidemiologists that they brought into the room to advise them disagreed about what needed to be done. They thought that, you know, there would be, you know, science has one answer and, 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 and they just have to follow it. And they, I think there was a line from, I think it was Matt Hancock or attributed to him, maybe, um, the, the health minister, uh, saying they disagree amongst each other as much as economists do. And I think that's, that's part of the story that we within the scientific community have, have not done a great job of getting across to people is to be comfortable with uncertainty and to, um, to be more familiar with probability um, uh, rather than just, you know, hard numbers. Uh, I think that's, that's uh, you know, we really have to do a lot of, a lot of work on, on that front. Hmm. Uh, well, I feel like I could talk to you uh, uh, about this stuff for hours. I mean, I just feel like you have all, all this, um, all this information uh, about the universe, you know, from its full, you know, 6,000 years of history. And I, I just want to get into all 6,000 <laughs> of them with you. Uh, and and oh, we sorry, one. if I could just, just say one quick, super last, last thing about this. Yeah. With respect to, I mean, vaccines are a classic example of this. Yes, absolutely. The science is very, very clear that um, that, uh, that that vaccines have been a wonderful benefit to uh, to humanity. They're overwhelmingly uh, safe. Um, uh, 
not perfectly so. There were, nothing is perfectly safe, let's remember. Crossing the road is safe, but it's not perfectly safe. Um, and um, one of the reasons that we have to have sort of, we have to simultaneously oppose people who are anti-vax, anti-vaccine, but also empathize deeply why it is the case that so many people have um, developed a sort of resistance to this, given the fact that, you know, they've been confronted with uh, experts, supposed experts for, uh, for years um, who turned out to be, uh, to be wrong uh, in a big way. I mean, the 2008 uh, global financial crisis is a classic, classic example of that. 2003 uh, that, invasion of Iraq. Uh, absolutely. And yeah. also, you know, I've, as you've just laid out to us, these are a lot of the same people who let us, I mean, the political leaders, at least, who, yeah. who allowed us to get hit by COVID. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so we simultaneously have to defend science, but also understand why people have developed a sort of anti-science perspective and, and, and respond in an empathetic way um, exp uh, to that, rather than telling them that they're just stupid or math breathers, uh, dum-dums, which is just, I mean, it just, it's, it's counterproductive. Um, I mean, beyond even counterproductive, it's, it's just anti-humanist, it's, it's unempathetic. It's amazing how few people historically are won over by the, hey, stupid, yeah. <laughs> think this way yeah. Uh, yeah. a school of rhetoric uh yeah, yeah it's 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 um i just i i feel like that um that basic uh that basic uh, idea that you've just articulated that that uh, understanding the the reasons why people can I mean, I forget who it was who was writing about the, the QAnon. Uh, I think it was Amber Lee Frost, a, a piece about the QAnon um, conspiracy in, in Jacobin. And, and just thinking like, yeah, I mean, QAnon is obviously crazy. And then also, if you're reading about Jeffrey Epstein and him getting killed in his cell in this Rolodex with the entire, like... It, there are also reasons why yeah, um, a a crazy story about the secret pedophile ring that runs society <laughs> from a shadow, you know, government uh, <laughs> would find readership uh, in in 2020. Like it's 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 not hard to uh, see, you know without saying. Um, uh, hey, I like uh, mold in my house. You can also say, oh. I, I understand why there's mold growing in this, in the den. It's cause you know, it's cold on the windows and warm in the room. Like you, you got, you figure out what's going on in order to address the, you know, you don't just sit and scream at the window for being moldy. Yeah. I think the, the model that we should hold up um, on how to operate in these circumstances is it was a group called the treatment action group in, in South Africa. And uh, it was an AIDS uh, campaign group, and they were they managed to have, they were fighting basically on three different fronts. They're fighting against the neoliberalism of um, um, uh, of, of Thabo Mbeki's um, ANC government that was refusing to to spend money on on AIDS treatments. Um, they were uh, fighting against his AIDS denialism, which also fit nicely with his desire not to spend public money. Mm -hmm. They were fighting against um, Western pharmaceutical companies refusing to, um, to allow generic production of these drugs uh, because it would undermine their profitability in the, in the global north. And also fighting against the um, sort of magical thinking of uh, the sort of shamans and, and so on and so forth in, in, in some um, communities, some, some black uh, communities. Um, and you can sort of, uh, with a deep level of empathy, understanding why people might retreat to that, also understanding why there was a low level of scientific uh, literacy because of the history of apartheid and because of the con continuing history of neoliberalism. And so you have this like three or even four front war that they're fighting all the while uh, defending science, but also understanding why people might reject science. Um, to be able to hold those two things in your head at the same time, uh, while still being rigorously anti, um, you know, fighting a, the, the good fight against neoliberalism um, uh, is, is very hard. It's very, very hard. And it's one of the only, only organizations 
anywhere on the left in the world that, I, uh, that I've seen actually really get it right. There's a couple of other ones, but that really, I would say, that should be our model of how we move forward. Lee, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, no I love you. If people want to you. read uh, anything uh, by you, they can find you. Um, they can find you on Jacobin. They can find uh, your books, uh, um, uh, austerity porn and uh, austerity ecology and the collapse porn addicts uh, from yes. Zero Books, or uh, with uh, co-authored by Michal Rozorski, People's Republic of Walmart uh, from uh, Verso. Uh, you'll just come back on again uh, after the uh, pandemic and uh, we'll, we'll record, you know, from the same chair. It'll be wonderful. <laughs> that would be nice. Uh, I can't wait to see you in person, but this Nor was me. a very nice uh, holdout uh, in the meantime. Take care. Talk to you soon.